Welcome to the Marion Message presented by the Mosaic of Marion podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marion Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Hey, thank you guys for being here today. Would you turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ezra? I told him at early morning today that um, I believe the first time I have preached out of this book since I've been here. I've, I've taught a few things out of it, but I think this is the first time I've ever preached a message out of it. Um, and so we're going to... This is sort of a beginning sermon to next week. Um, my plan is, and I pray that you will um, make plans except for um, either working or if you're sick. Um, to be here. Deacons and I want to cast a vision to the future, and um, specifically for this year, how we feel like God has led us after prayer and, and time spent in His presence. And, you know, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, so we want to make sure that we have a, a fresh vision. And, and today, what I want to look at is what happens when you get that? What are, what are the, the ways that it comes about? And so I want to talk about that today, and I want to talk about why we don't hear God. And I'm, by that mean, I mean hear and listen and obey. If you listen to me a, a minute ago, it's one thing to hear God, but it's something else to apply what you've heard. And I feel like, and I fear that so many of us subconsciously believe we know more than God. We know more than God knows what's best for our life, and nothing could be further from the truth. So if you would, at the, the reading of God's Word, if you're able, and out of respect, would you stand at the reading of God's Word? We're going to um, read the whole chapter. It's just 11 verses. The Bible says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, and besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to Go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus king of Persia brought out these brought these out in the charge of Mithrida, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. And all the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. 
And all these did Sheshbazzar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Father, I pray right now, pastor of this church, that you would give us a vision of what God wants this church to be and this family of believers that's located here. God, would you give us our responsibility? Would you give us our marching orders? Would you give us our future? And God, may we see it and understand it and listen to it. God, would you just be with us? Lord, we just offer this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I believe God has a specific purpose for us. I believe he has a specific for us corporately, and I believe he has a specific purpose for you individually. I believe there are things that you're called to do, and whether you believe God or not or trust God in it will be all based upon one truth, and I'm going to talk a lot about this today. Do you believe God to be true? Do you believe God to be faithful with what he says? Now, it's easy. Some of you amen that. It's easy to say amen. It's a little more difficult to live it out. It's a little more difficult to step out when you don't really know how this is going to end up. Are you willing? We're going to, we're going to sing a song. And Miss Pat, by the way, you knocked it out of the ballpark for the invitation hymn. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I still say most of us lie. If where you lead, I believe in, then I'll go. But we'll sing it here in just a minute. And when we get to it, I want you to listen really to the second verse. When we start in it. And just see if you believe it. Three points here I want us to get to today as we look at a look to the future. Number one, as we look to the future and as we see what are the steps in looking to the future. Number one, we see this. The vision that stirred a leader. The vision that stirred a leader. Let me give you a little backstory. Israel, Judah, they'd all been living very paganly. Pre-Babylonian um, capture and captivity, Israel had a problem. Idolatry. If you want to know all about it, just go look at um, the first, second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles. Go read the book of Judges. See what's happening there, and you'll see the idolatry. So God sends them off because of their unfaithfulness and how they were not following his word. And, and then they're there, and God had laid out, and we're going to see that today, some specific things. Matter of fact, we're going to, I'm going to show you today that he names Cyrus before Cyrus ever came on the scene and probably was ever born. So here's this pagan king. So Nebuchadnezzar, he takes over. He goes and he captures um, um, Israel and Judah and takes them into captivity. And they're there, and then they're, they're taken over by the Merge and the Persian, Medes and Darius the Mede took over. And then now we have Cyrus, pagan king. What does he care about Jerusalem? First year of Cyrus, king of Persia. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred. 
That word stirred there, it's, a, it's the idea of opening the eyes. It's an idea of waking up. In other words, Cyrus is just going about his daily job. Cyrus is just going about his life of being right at this moment, the king of all this. And he's there, but he's living in darkness. And that time, the Lord begins to move and stir him. You know what happens? I believe at the moment of salvation, we are all living in darkness, and then the Lord begins to stir in our soul. He begins to wake you up to the truth of the fact that salvation is found in Him and Him alone. Next week, I'm going to prove to you, and I'm going to show you scripturally there, it says that we lived in darkness. So he's there, and he stirs up this vision, uh, and he's like, all of a sudden, he sees. I mean, he calls God Lord, capital L-O-R-D. All that's capitalized, which is his, his covenant name, his personal name, Yahweh, Jehovah God. And he says, the God of heaven. So something happened about this guy. Well, what was it happening, and how could God do that? Seeing as Cyrus wasn't Jewish, and Cyrus had apparently no, uh, really no need to have any care about what was happening in Jerusalem. Flip over in your Bible to Proverbs Chapter 21. Look at what the Bible says here. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The reason I have people, when they ask me about society today, what do you think about the president? And I'll say this a lot of times. I just pray that the Lord would turn his heart. Do, do you, I've asked, preacher, do you pray for the president? Absolutely. Every day I pray for the president. He's the president. I pray for him that God would turn his heart. I pray for the governor. See there, so you just can't say, well, you just pray for the Democratic ones. No, I pray for the Democratic ones, the Republican ones. I pray for the independents. I pray for anybody that's in position of government. I pray for them. And by the way, if you don't, that's backsliding sinning. God can turn the heart. So here's this pagan king that God begins to, to move. We know that he did the opposite in Scripture at times too. He moved in Pharaoh's heart, right? The Bible says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So when God was doing all these things, yes, Pharaoh himself, the Bible says, hardened his own heart. But the Lord began to turn that heart to hear the hardening. Friends, hear me. If you don't want to follow God, he'll harden your heart to bring about the circumstance that he wants. But he can also soften your heart. As he's doing here with Cyrus to bring about what he wants. Here's the truth. Some of you, if, you, if you take notes, please write this down. And if you don't take notes... Write this down. God keeps his words. See, I believe in that very little, short, finite, God keeps his word. Four words, I believe we struggle the most in our walk. I believe we don't trust God. We're afraid we're going to get embarrassed. We're going to afraid God's not going to show up. We're afraid God's going to leave us in a lurch. We're afraid he won't keep his word to us. Now, why, preacher, why do you say that? Well, if you take also your Bible, now go to Jeremiah chapter 16. Go to Jeremiah chapter 16.
Remember what he says here in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So what did Jeremiah say that they could cling and hold their hat to when he was prophesying in verse, um, verse 5, start verse 14, Jeremiah 16, verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He was faithful to bring that person out too. In verse 15, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave their fathers. Underline it, for I will. He doesn't say, I'm going to try to. He doesn't say, man, if things work out right, if I can get just the right people, here's what we mess up. If I can get just the right people in office or I can get just the right person on that throne, then I'll be able to work my, work my deal. No, God is sovereign. He can turn the king's heart like a stream of water. We don't have this faith anymore. People say all the time, man, where is this world going to? And what's going on in this world? Can I make this statement? You, you guys are sitting in, some of you are members of, some are just visiting, Southern Baptist Church the great mission-sending convention across America and the world. That's us. Do you know that 90% of all Southern Baptists will never lead one person to Jesus? Let that sink in. You want to change the world? Take God at his word. Hello? Hello? See, what we've done is, see, there's this thing in the Bible. I don't know if you've read it or not. In the end of Matthew, and it's really in every gospel, there's a portion of this, a part of it, even in Acts, that's called the Great Commission. That we are all called to go and make disciples. But what we've done in Baptist churches and the church across the world is this. We've made that a calling. Well, see, I'm not, I don't have the, the calling of the evangelist on me, so I'm going to step back with that. Did you know that most theologians think that Timothy really was not an evangelist, that he, he was really more of a, just a pastor? That's why Paul had to say in that second um, letter to Timothy, he says, do the work of an evangelist. And by the way, before you say this, well, that's not my calling. See, my spiritual gifts are this and this. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you or not? I mean, I just don't believe that the Holy Spirit said, well, when I go into Hank, right, I'm going to leave parts of me out of Hank. Like, I'm going to leave out. Now, I can't stand. Y'all all right? Um, what, what, what's, what am I weak at? I just, what, what is that spiritual gift? Uh, when, when you, huh? Focus. Who said Focus. I mean, and there's not even a revolt in here that somebody just said, I lack focus. It's when you write stuff down and you, you. there you go. Thank you, Kimmy. She stood up. Make him stand up. Administration. I don't like it. Matter of fact, I'll go on out of limb and I'll say this. I hate it. That don't mean I can't do it. Because, see, I have the Holy Spirit in, inside of me, and if he's inside of me and that's one of his spiritual gifts, then guess what? I have the ability to be an administrator. 
So we've chosen to neglect some of the calling and the ways of the Holy Spirit just because we don't want to do it. Preacher, what if I go to share and they don't come to Jesus? What if they don't make a decision for Jesus? Okay. It's not your job to win them. It's your job to share with them. Listen, yes, is my spiritual gift that of an evangelist? Yes. Probably based upon that truth, I might win more than you, but that don't mean you won't win some. Paul said, I'm all things to all men so that I might win one. But by golly, if you're an administrator, man, do that job and do it to the fullest, but don't neglect the other. We don't trust him. We don't trust that he's going to protect us. We don't trust that he's going to, we don't trust that he can do what he says and he can make us okay with, that's the reason we do all this other stuff. You know why we don't trust him? Because we don't read it. Some of you, let's just be honest, you open your Bibles Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. And that's it. Friends, that's not a vibrant relationship with Jesus. That's just weekend visits. You can't know anybody like that. So he gets this vision, this pagan leader gets this vision, he gets this calling, and he receives it. Here's what I love. He receives it, and then he applies it to his life. I mean, he could have said, okay, I hear you speaking, God, Lord, but I'm not doing that. These are my people that are in captivity. These are my slaves. These are my working class that, so that my, my Persians, we don't have to do anything. These are the people that I want here to do that. No, what did he say? He said, man, I got to send folk to rebuild this city because God has called me to it. He calls him Lord. He calls him the God of heaven. He calls him the God of Jerusalem. Then I love this. He didn't just have reception. He had Proclamation. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 1. The Lord stirred, and then he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. That word proclamation right there, I love this. It means to transition, to cross over. And I believe as he's using that word, that here's what he's saying. He crossed over from being a pagan guy. I think Cyrus is in heaven. He crossed over to being a follower of Jehovah. Now, now, then we get to the part where we think of proclamation, which means to call aloud, to announce. That's why I tell people whenever I lead somebody to, to faith in Jesus, man, the first thing I'll tell them is, like, listen, if it was real, here's the first thing you ought to do. You ought to go tell somebody. You ought to share with somebody. Why is it that we are so ashamed of being a Jesus follower? They'll make fun of us. And... I know nobody wants to be made fun of. What, what would happen, though, if we became the majority again? Well, I just think we've gone too far. Are you, are you kidding me? Why is it that we cannot just take over all of Chatham and all the community around here by going and sharing with people? You know why? 
We don't think we can do it. Here's what we got, this little mentality. Man, we're just a little country church out here on 612. What can we do? By golly, we can do anything God wants us to do. Oh, wait a minute, some of you just thought it. I heard your thoughts. I didn't really, but it sounded good. Preacher, you're, you're just all about numbers, so says the carnal person. What about it? If we just win people to the kingdom. Hello? I mean, okay, yeah, we'll grow. Well, what about, isn't it more about people coming to know Jesus to spend time in heaven? Here's the problem, and I'm going to speak about this next week too. You think hell is a joke. You, you think he, hell's not real. Oh, heaven is real, but hell's not. So everybody, we're all, I've told you this before, I believe and I'm scared that Southern Baptists are becoming universalists. Everybody's going to have a, a deathbed confession. There's one in the Bible that tells me that there's possible, but not probable. He proclaimed it. And I love it. God had already, listen, you know, I just think sometimes God just likes to show off. I love that. Go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 44. Before Cyrus had taken over. Look at what God did. In verse 40, in verse 28, excuse me. Isaiah 44, verse 28. Who says of Cyrus, God named him. People say all the time, you know, the Bible can't be trusted. There, there are so many errors in it. And here's all, see, some of you, when they say that to you, they're trying to get you on the defensive and you go, well, I'm going to defend, I don't defend the Bible. Here's a, show me one mistake, show me one error. God doesn't need defending people say all the time god's a joke really why you say that well i just know he is well that's not a reason that's your thault at next time somebody tells you that god's not real god's joke you say well prove it then they're gonna say no you proved to me he is i don't have to prove to you he is i just know he is See, if God didn't feel the need to defend him being God in Genesis 1-1, why do I need to defend him that way? See, you're, when you do that, you're trying to do something that God didn't even do. He just made the statement, in the beginning, God. And by the way, if they don't want to believe me, that's once again not on me. At some point, they're going to find out. But my job is to love them to get them there. We should proclaim the good news just like Cyrus proclaimed what God had given him. Problem is, some of us don't think it's good news. You know why? Some of us think we're not sinners. A crowd this size, probably you're going, well, preacher, I don't understand this whole need of Jesus. I'm not a bad person. Well, according to the scriptures, you are. Isaiah talks about it and then Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 3, and I think verse 9 or 10, one says, there is none good, no, not one. 
See, the problem is we've, we've made everything like this. Nobody has the sin of alcoholism anymore. We call it a disease. No, no, nobody has, has the sin of pornography anymore. We call it an addiction. No, you're a stinking sinner. That's your problem. And you're living out your sin nature. And by the way, I firmly believe, oh, you might struggle, but if you come to Jesus, you can get over that. That was a vision that stirred a leader. And by the way, can I say I believe there's some of you that have been stirred, the deacon team has been stirred, and I've been stirred about a vision I think God has for us. Here you go, you're going to hear this. We want to capture our community for Christ. You're going to hear that a lot next Sunday. That's been my prayer for 20-some years now. Then there's a decision that demanded an answer. So here we go. I've dealt a little bit with this. So my man Cyrus gets this, and what's he going to do with it? Well, we just said he proclaimed it, and he wrote it down. But he did more than that. He, didn't, he said, let's not do this alone. He could have just sent people back specifically that were Persians or whatever to go. No, he said, I want to send you back to your home. You know, people say, this, man, it's, it's the hardest people to ever reach are your own family. Well, then who do you want to go to heaven if you don't want your own family to go to heaven? Hello? Cyrus says, king of Persia, he's given this. And by the way, I, just, I don't have time to unpack this. That he, he said that the Lord gave all this to me. I don't have time to unpack that. And he's charged him. That means to visit with friendly intent to oversee, to appoint him to do it. But look at this. Whoever is among you of all his people, may God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. There is an encouragement. God said, man, I, I mean, Cyrus said, God called me to do this. He's put me over charge, and I'm gonna, I want to do this, and here's how I want to do it. If you're Jewish, and that's your homeland, go. I'm letting you leave. Now, what king in the history of the world did that with his captives? Just one day said, hey, the door's open. Feel free to go back home. And by the way, and I'm, you're going to show this in a minute, and not only am I going to send you back home, I'm going to fund it. See, I don't, the deacon team and I don't want to do this vision for this year alone. We want you to be with us. We want you. We're going to give you so many options to, to be involved in Marion Baptist Church that we haven't done in the, in the past, man, where everybody is involved. I don't want to see people on the sidelines anymore saying, well, I've done my job, and now I'm just going to just ride it out. There's no retirement plan in the church. Notice that God not only stirred the hearts of the king, but also of the people. He encouraged this. But secondly, then an explanation. And then you go to 3B. He says, listen, and we get to the second half. He says, you're going to go and you're going to rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He who is the God of Jer in Jerusalem. God moves it. And here's what I want you to know. God's a restorative God. Aren't you glad about that? God, he'll restore you. He restores every. I love this. You know where you're going to find God at? 
where you left him? You remember that, here's how I know that God's, are, all right, some of you are going, well, can you prove that to me biblically that he restores you? You remember the story of the prodigal son? Can I say this? That was my story. You know, you grow up in church, and you just love Jesus, and things happen, man, and then the next thing you know, you're, you're enticed and drawn away by the world and some stuff, and then you go off and you're living in a way that you know you shouldn't be. Basically eating pig slop. And I'm going to make this statement. Those that drink a lot and those that are drug addicts and all that stuff, what you're doing is you're eating pig slop. Let that sink in for a minute. Then here's how I know that old boy in the far country knew Jesus because while he's out there, guess what happens? He says, man, what am I doing? I could go home and the servants of my father eat better than what I'm eating. He said, so I'm going to go home. And when I he, if I could think of it right off the top of my head, we would go there real quick. I think it's Luke 15. You could go there. Actually, turn there. I'm pretty sure it's Luke 15. Turn there real quick. Ooh, check that out. I was right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Listen to what he says. But when, verse 17, here's what repentance is. When, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's higher servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be your, called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he plans this out because he finally had come under conviction, and he had repented, and he knew he wasn't worthy. Isn't that what salvation is first and foremost? So once you're saved, isn't that where you're at when you come back? You've been off. Let me tell you, when I came back to Jesus... Here's what I thought, man, I am so unworthy to come crawling back. He arose and he came to his father about, well, this is what Jesus does. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Man, I don't have time to unpack this all today, but let me tell you something. That means the father's always watching for you. I believe the Father is drawing and He's moving in your heart and He's always watching for that moment when you turn. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And so the Father is watching. The Father, I just believe every day that the Daddy would go out there every day and say this, it's just the day my son comes home. Goes away a little bit longer and he's done something and he walks back and he just happens to look back up that road. Sure wish my son would come home. And he looks and doesn't see him. But finally one day, and he looks and there he is. Walking to him. Now some of us would go, I would be very stern with that young man. I would tell him everything he did wrong and how he mistreated me. Go and do that. You're running right back to the far country. There's a time and a place for tough love. I understand that. Look at what the Bible says. He felt compassion. 
He ran and he embraced him and kissed him. And the son says, you know, the son's going, wait a minute, dad, I wrote this speech now. I got, I got it all. Let me pull this speech out. I got, I got, I got, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he goes to take a breath and the father says, hey, you, 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 come here, bring the best robe, put it on him, bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, he kill it, let us eat and celebrate. That's a restorative God. Preacher, you don't understand. I don't need to understand where, why you went to the far country. This guy basically told his daddy, I just soon you be dead. Give me my money now. He's restoring everything that Israel had quote unquote lost. And then the expectation is that they would all go and they would carry something with them. Here's the expectation in verse 4. He says, And let each survive in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by men with his silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will officers. He said, man, he expected folk to get on with the project. project. That's the reason I'm telling you that next week, man, it's going to be about us as a family, not about just me and the deacon team. It's going to be about all of us. Take it. I mean, we're going to have a thing that you can sign to covenant together as a family to do this. The deacon, we have been praying now for two to three weeks for you guys to catch hold to the vision that we feel is God. At least I hope the deacon's been praying. We talked about it. I know them. They've been praying. So that we can do this hand in hand and arm in arm, not just, well, this guy's doing his thing. We want to go as a mighty marching force. Then lastly, the provision that God brought to fruition. Remember I told you at the beginning that God paid for it? Well, the king paid for it, but it was all by God. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Look, here's the provision. And it was by the people. Then the heads of the families, house of Judah, Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred, same word at the top. He woke them up to go and be, rebuild the house of the Lord is in Jerusalem. And all that were about them aided them. That means strengthened. That means they tied to it. They seized. They were strong about it. They aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely given. Let me make this statement to you. I wrote this down. Every time God takes victory plunder to fund what he wants to build. You ever thought about that? You remember when the, when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were leaving? You remember it was so hard-pressed? You remember what was happening? What, what happened? God was going to give them. He says, man, I'm going to let you just loot the Egyptians. And so they, finally that, that tenth plague occurred. And as they're going out, do you remember what they all, the Egyptians did? Man, they were pulling out earrings and it won't even to fight. I've been told that lately that a female going to fight. The first thing she do is take her earrings out. So now I watch. Whenever you women are really mad at me, I look to see if you reach up to take your earrings out. And if you start taking your earrings out, I'm going the other way. Because if we're about to throw hands, there's a problem. But they were taking the earrings off. They were taking everything else. And they were just, here's what they said to the Israelites. Take it and just leave. He does it, does it with, that's how Moses built the tabernacle with the gold from the Egyptians. Solomon built the temple with materials from David's victories. This temple here is built with gold from the nations where Cyrus said, give something to them. And then Jesus took captivity captive and is building the church through the victories of the Holy Spirit. See, we think it's our victory. It's the Holy Spirit's victory. He moves. 
leads us there. God can move anyone to give anything when he decides. Let me give you, a, let me pull back the curtain for one second. Deacons want to be getting a plan together to begin building again next year. I know some of you are going, what? I told him this morning, Kim was going to freak out. What if God so moves to do that? So my prayer is that God, my prayer has become that God would begin to stir the hearts of all of us to build his church. Do our part. We've been commissioned to do this. You do know that, right? Matthew 16, 18, he said, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Unless the Lord buildeth, they build it in vain. And then he commissions us to go and do it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go and make disciples. But then not only did they do it, the king did it too. Notice what the king did. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. And if you go, if you read over in Jeremiah, I don't have time right now today, Jeremiah 27, 21, and 22, God promised that all the articles that would be taken by Babylonia would be brought back. God keeps his word. Period. And then, how did all this happen? Some would say, well, that was Cyrus doing it all. No, can I tell you who did it all? It's all because of God. God's the one who foretold it. Through the prophet Jeremiah, everything that would happen, God foretold it. And God said, this is what I'm going to do. And I love that word. He's going to stir the hearts of a pagan king and a bunch of backslidden people. Next week when we talk, here's my prayer every day this week, that God would stir your hearts. I saw when some of you, I talked about building, man, you guys all jacked up. God's a big God. I didn't ask you to give any dime, a dime. That's up to God in you. But for today, let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a day you came to Jesus? Has there ever been a day in your life when you said this? Preacher, I know I'm a sinner. I don't just make mistakes. I'm not just a good guy that has bad days. I'm a sinner. And you want to repent because the Holy Spirit of Almighty God is drawing you. He's whispering in your heart. He's talking to you. He's speaking to you. But it's not my words. It's Almighty God pulling on your heart. Thanks for listening to the Marian message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.